You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, we're going to continue in the book of Acts, uh, where we were last night. And um, we left off with the story of Barnabas and Paul. And after this dynamic friendship, fused together by the Holy Spirit, brought together by the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit even used them in their parting of ways. And as they went in two different directions, the Holy Spirit was even driving in that and paving the way in that. And the gospel went in two different directions and was able to spread and multiply that way. So we're going to pick up uh, continuing to follow uh, Paul on that missionary journey as he headed on his second missionary journey. Um, and his original plan was to go and to visit the churches that he had been a part of planting and establishing uh, and to encourage those works that he and Barnabas had been a part of before. And so they, he heads out on this journey. He takes his friend Silas with him. And uh, they go to uh, visit these churches again. So that's where we're going to pick up tonight. We're going to be looking at four different frames in this, in this chapter, in the book of Acts, chapter 16. And uh, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit advances the gospel. All right, how the Holy Spirit advances the gospel. Once again, the book of Acts, the central character of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that is poured out on the believers who were waiting like Jesus commanded them to wait. They were waiting expectantly for the move of God. The presence of God poured out not only on them but filling them. And the church is born and this worldwide movement of Jesus is launched in that moment. And so the book follows how the Holy Spirit uh, builds the church, establishes the church, plants the church, cultivates and nourishes the growth of the church and the movement of the gospel uh, and, and the advancement of the kingdom. So that's where we're going to be tonight, looking at four different frames uh, from this chapter. Holy Spirit, we are open, we are listening We are here to hear from you. We are here to respond to you. And so we just begin as we already have been led in worship into this posture of openness to you into this posture of response to you, we continue in that. So we ask you to challenge us, provoke us, encourage us, build us up. We pray specifically tonight, Holy Spirit, for chains to break. And we pray that you would begin that work now what you intend to complete before the end of this evening, we know you're already at that work now. So we're going to be attentive to it. And we're going to be ready to respond to it. 
the culture of prayer that you have already established in this place. We pray that you will fan it into flame and take it to a new level tonight. And this work that you will accomplish before the end of the evening, we ask that you would help us to be open to it and responsive to it as we go through this evening. See in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the, the first frame is this. Uh, the first way that the Holy Spirit advances the gospel is through this idea of moving forward. This chapter begins with an introduction of a character named Timothy. So it says this, the first verse, uh, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So we're given this brief introduction to Timothy, this person who has a legacy in the ministry of Paul. Uh, later, we're told that his, his mother and his grandmother were believers uh, under Paul's ministry. And so Timothy actually is taken under Paul's wing as like this apprentice of Paul, okay, to learn the ways of Jesus from him. And so Timothy becomes, though, over the course of this journey, he becomes more than just an apprentice to Paul in the way of Jesus. He becomes like a son in the faith for Paul. And there's this intimate relationship between them, this tender, this gentle kind of relationship between them. And Paul disciples him. He invests in him. He encourages him. He empowers his gifts. And he opens up space for Timothy to lead. And, and we, we later will hear more about that. First Corinthians, book of Philippians, first and second Timothy. We'll, we'll hear more about that through Paul's letters, just how far this relationship goes and how he raises this young person up to be a leader in the faith. One of the ways that the faith moves forward is through passing it down. It's moved forward when it's passed down and it's important for us to find people around us people that the Holy Spirit is placing into our lives not just that we can get get under as as a person to disciple us but people who are coming behind us in this journey of faith as well that we can pour ourselves into Paul understands we see all throughout Paul's letters uh, just how much he grasps how much he cannot grasp the infinity of who God is, of God's character, of God's nature, of God's beauty, of God's power, his sovereignty, his strength, his love, the height, the depth, the width, all of it, right? And we get this sense from Paul that he understands just how finite he is in light of, of the power of God. And the nature of who God is. And part of understanding how finite he is, is he understands that his time will come to an end. And it's important for him to pass this on to other people who will be able to carry it forward. He does not see himself as the center of the story. He is multiplying himself and he is investing in other people. The Holy Spirit always moves the gospel forward along relational lines. The Holy Spirit is always moving the gospel forward along relational lines. We see it over and over again. Strategy is important, but relationships are vital. 
always the gospel is moving along relational lines because the gospel itself is relational. God calls us into relationship with himself. God himself is relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bound together in holy love. It's really important for us in our teaching and in our worship and in our discipleship to continue to understand the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to name God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God, and to understand God in relationship and that he is inviting us into that. We were created for him and for each other. And we need each other. And it's always moving us into relationships. So the gospel is about your relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's about your relationship with your neighbors. It's even about your relationship with your enemies. The way of Jesus is so radical, counterintuitive, subversive in this world. And that he gives us this command that who of us can live this out? Love your enemies. Where else have you ever heard that? What a revolutionary thought. What a revolutionary thought. That's the future of love. That is the unexplored territory of love, to love your enemies. It is absolutely impossible in our own strength. I love that the next thing that Jesus says in that, though, is, is after saying love your enemies, he goes on to say, and pray for those who persecute you. So he gives us a very practical step to do this very impossible thing. How can we ever love our enemies? He says the next step is this, begin to pray for the people who persecute you. When you begin to pray for your enemies, something shifts within your own heart. God begins to do the work of loving them for you and through you. And he begins to help you understand how he sees them and something shifts. The gospel is relational. It always has been. It always will be. Even the very first disciple who is ever called to follow Jesus, it's not just one disciple by themselves. It's two brothers together. So from the very beginning, this has been a communal faith. It's been a faith of relationship and it always it continues to spread along relational lines it should impact every relationship in your life it should impact every relationship in your life I will be really impressed by how much you know about theology how well you can debate it back and forth all of that but you know what I really want to see how does it actually impact the relationships that you're in how does it actually work itself out in your life? Is it having an effect on the relationships? Then who cares how well you can debate it? Who cares how well you think you know it? Apparently you don't believe it. And apparently it hasn't done its work in you. That transforming work that the gospel always does. That's the test right there. It's always relational uh, a, a next thing that's really interesting here about Timothy is this uh, in the following verses it tells us something interesting it says that Paul decides to take Timothy with him on this missionary journey and one of the things he does before taking Timothy with him is he has Timothy circumcised okay that's a little bit awkward can we just embrace the awkwardness of that all right Timothy's like I'm okay maybe I'm out okay I don't know 
about all of this, okay? So why does he do that? To me, this is a very puzzling thing when we first read that because in the chapters prior to this, we've already had this major conflict in these early days of Christianity, this ongoing debate. It begins in Antioch as these people who are outside of the Jewish family are beginning to come into the Christian faith. And so it raises this question, wait a minute, like what does it actually mean to be a Christian? Do these people have to be circumcised? Because that's the sign that God gave us, that we are his covenant people. So do they have to be circumcised in order to become Christians? Do they have to start following the law of Moses in order to walk in the way of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? So it sparks the Jerusalem council. In Acts chapter 15, this major moment where the apostles come together, the leaders, the founding leaders of the early church come together and debate this together. Barnabas and Paul speak up, Peter speaks up, and James has the final word. And they recognize that no, it does, you do not have to live by the law of Moses in order to walk in the way of Jesus. It's by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone that we become followers of Christ and transformed. So they've already fought this battle over circumcision. So why now, one chapter later, is Paul like, Timothy, come with us, but first you must be circumcised. Why? Is he caving to the legalism in this? No. Here's what's going on in that, all right? Paul had a strategy. When Paul went to a new city, and he often went to, intentionally went to these uh, urban places, these, these cultural centers uh, within the Roman Empire, because he knew that if he could get the gospel rooted in that place, these were such influential places that they ended up having an impact in, in the culture all, all around them and, and, and through the highway systems and, and the, the uh, harbors and the ports and all of this, the people coming in for trade and everything else, that if the gospel would take root in these cultural centers, then it could spread beyond that and have a massive impact and it would begin to spread naturally and organically on its own through that but the first thing he did when he went to these cultural centers is he first went to one place does anybody have a guess as where he might have gone yes excellent absolutely he went to the Jewish synagogues first he went to the Jewish synagogues first and he preached the hope of Jesus there first why because their whole history had been building up to this this is the fulfillment of the promise every covenant the covenant with Adam and Eve, the covenant with Noah, with, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. All of the covenants are now fulfilled and completed in the person of Jesus Christ. This is our long-awaited king like David. This is our leader like Moses who was going to lead us out of slavery. This is the one we've been waiting for. And so he goes to the synagogue first. So why did he have Timothy circumcised? So that Timothy could come with him into the synagogue to preach the gospel. Here's what we need to understand about what's happening here. This is not about Timothy's salvation. He isn't saying, Timothy, you have to do this because it's a part of being a Christian. No, this is not required for salvation, but instead it is something that is surrendered for mission. You see the difference there? This is not something that's required for salvation. We've already fought that fight. 
But this is something that is surrendered for mission because we've got a long road ahead of us and there are people that need to hear the gospel. And he is saying, are you willing even to do this? To go and to present the gospel in these places with me. It wasn't for Timothy's salvation. It was for the salvation of other people. Let me ask you these questions for reflection and action. Number one, who is your Timothy? Who is your Timothy? Who's another person that you're investing your faith in? It is not just about you. It cannot stop with you. Following Jesus is an invitation into a life of deep intimacy with him, growing in grace, going to these places of depths with him. But it's got to be about more than you. Martin Luther defines sin as the heart curved inward on itself. As Christians, we can become so focused on ourselves and on growing ourselves that becomes a very dangerous thing for us John Wesley later defined holiness as the heart turned outward toward God and others it's an invitation into relationship who is your Timothy who is a person that you are investing in are you in those kinds of relationships the bands that you have developed I love this I love that happening. We have that in our church as well. And we're seeing some of the same things that you're experiencing happening with people. They're being provoked into into depths with each other and into deeper relationship with each other. And for the freshmen, there are the other small groups that are available for that as a way to put structure into your life. But maybe you already have those relationships that you can pour into. But wrestle with that question. Who is your Timothy? Who is your Timothy? The second question is this, what will you surrender for moving the mission forward? Tonight there might be something in your life that the Holy Spirit is already whispering to you and it's like, listen, it's not about your salvation. I'm not telling you this because it's about your salvation, but maybe it's about other people hearing the gospel. Maybe it's about other people experiencing the gospel. This is something I'm asking you to do for the sake of mission. Will you lay it down? Will you lay it down? Will you give it up? Will you sacrifice in your own life for the sake of what might happen in the lives of other people? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? What is the Holy Spirit asking you to surrender, to move the mission forward? The gospel has got to go beyond us. It's got to go beyond us. And the way that he does that is along relational lines to move it forward. Frame number two is this, waiting on his yes. Another way the Holy Spirit moves the gospel forward is by teaching us to wait on his yes. Also in this, uh, in this passage, in this chapter, um, we have this moment where Paul is carrying out this strategy that he's already developed, okay? So in the, in the mission, uh, his first missions trip, he's got a little bit of experience under his belt. He has seen what has worked, and he's going to do that same strategy again. He's going to return to some of these same places, hit other places in that region. And so he's got this strategy in mind of what he wants to do. But as he continues to go to these places, as he starts to go to these places... He feels a Holy Spirit block from moving forward. All right. He he feels the Holy Spirit stopping him from going to these different places and this team that he's developed. And so Timothy and Silas and Paul, and as they're trying to go to these different places, there is a clear stop. 
He hears the Holy Spirit's no over and over again. And it's a bit frustrating and it's a bit confusing. Has anybody ever had that experience in your life? Where you're like, look, I'm trying to do this thing. I've got this plan. I'm trying to accomplish it. Why do I keep hitting this wall? Why, do I, why won't this door come open for me? I've been pounding on it. I've been kicking on it. Why won't this come open for me? Are you willing to obey the Holy Spirit's no in your life? Even if it's something that you want deeply, even if it's something that you see clearly that you want to go after, are you willing to listen to the Holy Spirit's no and wait for the Holy Spirit's yes? Here's what happens in verses 9 and 10 of this passage. It says this. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That was why they kept hitting the no, because the Holy Spirit had another yes waiting for them. And so it gets this vision and this invitation from somebody in this dream to come and to bring the gospel in a way that's going to take a geographical leap, in a way that's going to take a cultural leap. And suddenly it all becomes clear. What was so confusing before becomes clear. And we see this. Paul's strategy was to go where it made the most sense. All right, he had experience. He knew what he was doing and he knew what he wanted to do again. So he was planning to go to these places that made the most sense, he thought, for the mission. So Paul's strategy was to go where it made the most sense. The Holy Spirit's strategy was to go where it made the most impact. If Paul had just gone to those same places, it would have been what he had already done before. And in many ways, the gospel was going to reach to those places anyway because of what he had established and what he had planted, what Jesus had used him to do before. But the Holy Spirit had a different plan for him. And he said, no, I want you to break new ground. You've been on this ground before. I want you to go to a completely new place. I want to see the gospel take a leap that it's not going to take if you just stay right here. Holy Spirit would have found another way to do that, of course. But it's through this obedience and it's through this waiting on the Holy Spirit's yes that finally we see the, a new territory open up and the gospel ends up making this leap, what leads to going to Europe for the first time. His strategy was to go where it made the most sense. The Holy Spirit's strategy was to go where it made the most impact. Maybe what, that's what the no is about in your life. You've got this plan built up that makes sense to you. It's a good plan. But maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, no, I've got something else. Not just what makes the most sense, but what's going to make the most impact. Are you willing to let some dreams die? Are you willing to let some plans fail? Are you willing to have the embarrassing conversations of, yeah, I know I told all of you I was going to go do this thing. But it seems like I'm going to be going this opposite direction now. Are you open to that? Are you open to that? I understand that in a room like this, 
with college students, we're not just talking about small decisions. We're talking about possibly your entire future being impacted by a yes that you say tonight. It might be him talking to you about the rest of your life. Will you wait for his yes? And will you answer yes back? Maybe the Holy Spirit is putting a burden on you about a place of deep, deep need. And he's telling you the place of existing need is the place of opportunity for you. You see this need and nobody else seems to be addressing it and it's driving you crazy and it's making you angry and it's making you frustrated and he's saying, yeah, that's me trying to tell you to do something about it. That place of need is also the place of opportunity. Where are you sensing a need? Where your gifts and your passions and your skills that God placed in you and that has, he has cultivated in you and that you have cultivated, would you give that towards a place of deep need? Questions and reflections for action. Are you being obedient to his no? And are you being obedient to his yes? Number three, the place of prayer. Frame three is this, the place of prayer. Uh, here's, here's what happens next in the, in the story. Uh, we're going to look at verses 12 uh, through 15, okay? Uh, here we go. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. This is what Paul's doing. This is his strategy. Go to one of these cultural centers Plant the gospel there and watch it spread. He does that here in Philippi, okay? We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside, uh, outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat, uh, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth uh, from the city of Thyatira. Who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, then come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. All right. The place of prayer. What we see here. Is this woman, Lydia, who comes into the story, a very successful businesswoman, a woman of high status, a woman of wealth. She's an entrepreneur. And all of these gifts are converging together with an open heart to create a baptized life. And what we get in this moment is Lydia becomes the founding leader of the church in Philippi. All right, this businesswoman, all these entrepreneurial gifts, and she becomes the founding leader of the church of Philippi. That church takes root in her home, the first church in Europe. And this entrepreneur is on the ground floor of the Holy Spirit's venture in her community. And she becomes the bridge by which the gospel enters Europe and for many of us makes the way to us. It's beautiful. She's at the forefront of this upstart movement as it takes root in her home. A very quick side note here. Paul's words in his letters are often taken out of context. 
in order to box women in in the church and to undercut their Holy Spirit-given gifts and abilities in the church. Often his words are taken out of context, but his actions in context here and in many other places throughout the New Testament show him unleashing the gifts of women in the church, encouraging them to step into the fullness of their God-given, Holy Spirit-inspired gifts, not just to serve in the church, not just to support in the church, but to lead the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. All right. All right. Women in the room, thank you for the way that you lead in the church. Thank you for giving your gifts to the church. Thank you for your voices that preach, that teach, that lead worship. Thank you for your hearts that serve, that raise up disciples, that pour into others. Thank you for your minds that come up with strategies that others haven't thought of yet. Thank you for the way that you lead. Thank you for giving all of your gifts, regardless of what they are. And we celebrate that and we're grateful for it. We celebrate Lydia tonight for her role in planting that church, the first church in Europe. We want to be really clear about that. But another thing that we really have to see here is this, very important that we have to see is this. Before a church is born in Lydia's home, a change is experienced in the place of prayer. Before a church is ever born in Lydia's home, a change is experienced at the place of prayer. The change starts and the shift happens and the heart opens at what we get here. It says that, that they met her at the place of prayer. And it's at that place where something begins to shift. We are being called to become places of prayer is asbury a place of prayer is asbury a place of prayer i believe it is i'm really grateful for the culture of prayer that exists here already every wednesday night the the prayer meeting that happens what time is the wednesday night prayer meeting anybody know eight o'clock okay that happens at old asbury okay we should be a part of that, all right? Say it again. In, in what? Kinlaw Library Chapel. Awesome, thank you. See, I messed it up. Thank you for helping me. Awesome. Be a part of that. Be a part of that. Guess what? If Wednesday night at 8 doesn't work for you, awesome. That means you've got an opportunity to start another one somewhere else at another time. That will work for a lot of other people. We have to ourselves become places of prayer and we've got to invest in this being a place of prayer. Your classrooms, uh, your dorm rooms, your, your athletic fields, all of it becoming a place of prayer, cultivating that here. The reality is this. Prayer is the irreducible infrastructure of revival and renewal. It is. Not because God needs us, but because God wants to use us and God wants to prepare us before he moves. And he's preparing us to get ready for him to move. And if we keep prayer distant and if we don't focus on it, if we don't lean into it, 
then revival is going to be a distant memory or some far off hope in the future that we keep talking about, but it will never be a present reality. Prayer is the irreducible infrastructure of renewal and revival, and he wants to do that here. He wants to do that here. Who's going to start the other prayer meetings? Who's going to be the one who champions that on this campus? Who's going to carry that flag and run with it and invite people and call people around that? We have to be that. We have to be that. For some, that's going to take root in you tonight. The last story is this. Frame four, breaking free. Breaking free. We have this uh, powerful moment here where all of a sudden we see the social economic scope of the gospel. We've already talked about the way that it is relational, but it crosses so many relational and cultural lines. We've seen it take a geographical leap here and moving into Philippi through that vision that is given. We also see it crossing not just uh, physical lines, but these cultural lines of, of social economic diversity in this story. Because what we see happen as well is that the gospel doesn't only impact Lydia, who's this wealthy person of means and an entrepreneurial businesswoman, but it also impacts a young woman who is being taken advantage of and being oppressed by people. She's being held as a slave. The story tells us that she has this evil spirit that gives her the ability to tell people's fortunes. And so people are using her to make money off of her. Come pay us and she'll tell you your fortune. We'll take your money and keep her in this place of oppression. She's following the team around, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke at this point in the story, following them around and shouting, these people are from God, listening to everything that they say which would be a pretty cool thing to happen to you, right? But Paul gets so annoyed that finally he just turns around, he casts out the evil spirit. And then the people who were using her for that money get upset because there went their economy. Anytime God's kingdom and our economy collide with each other, there's gonna be trouble. There's gonna be trouble because you're starting to mess with people's idols then, okay? And so that happens in this moment. He gets so upset and, and, and all of this happens and it ends up that Paul and his team and Silas are thrown into prison. They're there in the night. They're in these, uh, in these chains in prison. They're singing hymns in the middle of this, of being in prison. And it says that a violent earthquake happens. The chains fall off. The door flings open and they are set free. The jailer knows that being a jailer within the Roman Empire's uh, prison system, that he's going to be put to death because his prisoners are going to escape. So he's getting ready to take his own life. And Paul stops him and says, no, we're all here. We're all here. Doesn't only physically save his life in that moment, but also preaches to him the gospel. And the man says, what must I do to be saved? And it says that not only him, but his entire family are baptized into the kingdom of God, into the family of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's going to happen tonight. That's already happening tonight. For some of you, the Holy Spirit has been at work in you, and you have felt the chains start to loosen tonight. For some of you, you have been in prisons of addiction for far too long. And right now in this moment, 
you're sensing the earthquaking power of the grace of Jesus Christ at work in you and the prison walls are starting to shake and give way. The old structure of things has been compromised. The power of grace is overcoming. And for some of you tonight, it's time to be set free. Some of you have already experienced that in your life. You can point back to a moment of prison break where something opened up for you and there was this breakthrough and these chains that had been on you fell off. And you look back on those moments and you celebrate those moments because you're continuing to live in the freedom of that. And we praise the Lord for that. For others of you, you remember those moments when that happened. You can point to the place and the time. But now you look at your life and you say, I'm back in the same spot again. I'm in prison again. The same chains have me again. And you feel so defeated over that. For those of you, and I think this is the most important thing tonight. For those of you who are back in that place. And you feel like you're in chains again. So you feel like you're defeated. Here's what you need to hear. In this moment when Paul is set free, when the chains fall off and the door flies open and they are set free by this earthquake that God sends in that moment. Here's what you need to know. This is not the last time in the book of Acts that Paul ends up in prison. This is not the last time that Paul ends up in prison. He will be put in chains again. He will be put in chains again. Why? Because the forces at work against him will continue to battle against him. And they don't give up. Even after they've been defeated. They won't give up. They kept fighting and they kept finding ways to trap him. And the same thing is happening to you. But what you need to hear right now, when you're like, how did I get here again? What you need to hear right now, the same God that continued to be with Paul in prison as those forces were coming against him and fighting against him. That same power of God continued to go with Paul and it continues to go with you. His grace is strong enough to break you out every time the enemy boxes you in. The grace of God is strong enough to break you out every time the enemy boxes you in. Grace is strong enough to catch you every single time that you fall. Some of you need to embrace that tonight. You need to accept that tonight. And you need to prepare for the chains to fall off. I'm going to ask the band to come back. We're closing out. We're going to move into an extended time of prayer. We're hitting our time limit right now. And so those who need to go, you'll feel free to go, okay? But those who need to stay, Those who are feeling the Spirit stirring in them. A need to be obedient to his yes. You've heard no, 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 no. You're starting to sense his yes. Or you're longing to hear his yes. This is a time of consecration for you. You can come up to these altars up here. Lay your life on them. And say, whatever the future is for me, I'm saying yes right now. I want your yes over my life, no matter where it takes me. For others of you, he's calling you in to set a culture of prayer. 
to be people who are going to be architects of a culture of prayer on this campus, within your dorm, within your friend group, on your team. You feel that. He's asking you to take that step. It's needed and it matters. It's hard work. It's hard work, but he will meet you in it. He will meet you in it. Some of you need to come forward and open yourselves up to that and say, I want to be a place of prayer. Everywhere I go, a moving place of prayer. That's where the change happens. That's where the shift starts. And for others, it's time for a prison break. It's time to be set free. You need to open yourself up to that, to the power of grace. It has nothing to do with any song that anybody sings or any sermon that anybody preaches. It has to do with the unchanging, unswerving, undefeated grace of Jesus. Open yourselves up to that and allow him to move. Amen.